Hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, it is going pretty well. Um, gosh, yeah, it's been quite the week. I'm a little bit sleep deprived, but I'm fully present and excited to be here. Um, yeah, just making a move, and now I'm in my new state of North Dakota. Woo! Yes. <laughs> Sorry, we don't disclose personal information in this podcast, so for all we know, Sunny's in France right now. Um, <laughs> hi all, welcome to Scary Talk episode 67. Wait, 68? We're one episode away from 69, dude. Oh yeah, we're we, gonna be celebrating. We still gotta settle on what we're doing for that. Like, this is serious. It has to be special. Hi all, welcome to 68. This is Andre and Sunny. We're about to spook you today. We have some good stuff for you. Today we are doing a horror movie analysis. So we're doing a part two to the first horror movie analysis episode we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, but first, I'm glad you're okay. Um, sucks that you're tired. But let me talk to you about this for a second. So you know how we <laughs> talked about Britney Spears last week? Wait, I was literally about to say the same thing. We were so <laughs> you on go. it. No, you go, you go. Well, just that we we literally, like, gave a prophecy. Like, we're talking about supernatural things. That, like, social media blew up with free Britney stuff this week, which was really cool. I know. Did we catalyze that? What Like, did we, like, send out the psychic energy to millions of people to suddenly care about this? Because I, I've seen so much stuff since we first talked about it. I don't know if we, like, caught it while it was still, like, you know, like like barely like growing from the bud or something like who knows yeah, yeah. but um yeah but yeah it's like energy def- strong i guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i've seen a lot of stuff about that i mean i'm glad to see that because it's good to know people care about this because i think i think our queen is actually in a, in a truly dire situation for real mm. um so yeah, yeah. Just just an update. Uh, everyone, hashtag Free Britney. Look it up on Instagram. Look it up on Twitter. It's happening. It's blowing up. Be a part of it. Yes. <laughs> yep. So, anyway, we don't have much updates for you guys this week personally because um, the world is in standstill and nothing is happening. So, <laughs> literally, uh, beyond freeing Britney from her prison cell. Um, uh, we're just gonna give you horror movie analysis. So if y'all are ready to step into this, so are we. Let's do this. Sunny, yes. would you like to start us off with one of the movies that you're talking about today? Oh, absolutely. So I'll go ahead and start off with a fan favorite and a personal favorite, Shutter Island. Mm. So this is more of like a psychological thriller, I would say, um, than pure horror. It's got a couple jump scares here and there. Um, but it was released in 2010. It was directed by Martin Scorsese, who's really big. I don't think I pronounced his last name I think correctly. it's Martin Scorsese. God. <laughs> Martin Scorsese is his evil twin brother. <laughs> um, Martin Scorsese, Scorsese, I'll get that, um, who's a really big director um, and has done a lot of cool, cool things from what I can gather. So, do you think I should go into a plot summary first? Would that be helpful? Yeah, also, who's in this movie? Okay, so it stars Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, let's see here. Who else is in this movie in terms of casting? Actually, got... I don't remember anyone else in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is, like, definitely the main guy. Oh, yeah, and the other guy who kind of stars with him is Mark Ruffalo, opposite oh, okay. Ben Kingsley, big uh, psychiatrist guy, who famously played Gandhi because I think he's, like, a quarter Indian and white passing, oh, yeah, but we don't, yeah. we don't talk about that. 
Um, but yeah, so that was our, our cast there, a couple of hunks. Um, and it kind of starts out on this huge ship and you see Leonardo DiCaprio uh, puking and looking into a mirror and saying like, pull it together, Teddy. And he goes out and he's introduced to his new partner. And you find out that they're both U.S. Marshals and they're being sent to this island to investigate it. Um, and you go through the movie and they're investigating investigating what we soon come to name as Shutter Island. So Shutter Island is a, a, mental, health or a, a mental hospital for uh, people who have done violent things specifically. Mm -hmm. And as they go in, they meet Ben Kingsley, uh, the head psychiatrist guy who actually espouses surprisingly compassionate philosophy about his patients. He's the one saying, like, we're here to take care of them, we're here to re rehabilitate them, and you find our main character, Teddy, who seems to be a, a pretty angry, hardcore guy. He's a war veteran. Teddy is kind of skeptical of that. You know, so this psychiatrist, Ben Kingsley, is talking about, um, well, we have one patient here who murdered her three children. She drowned each of them. And um, so we're going to go talk to her because, or, oh, we're going to go into her room because she's disappeared, actually, and we need mm -hmm. you to find her. Um, and then Teddy's like, I don't know, do we, do we need to find her? Should we just, like, that's so terrible, you know? He's got a very clear stance on these, um, these perpetrators of violent crimes, which is that, you know, why are you just letting them off and trying to take care of them like this? They did terrible things. Um, and he's flashing back because he's a World War II veteran to um, a Nazi a Nazi camp, a Nazi death camp, where he went and um, he basically went as part of the army and it's slowly revealed that they lined up all of the officers who were Nazis against a fence and um, then the US soldiers essentially shot them, you know? And he's mm -hmm. quoted saying, you know, like, that wasn't war, it was, it was murder. And he clearly seems to feel a little bit of guilt about that. So it's this interesting parallel where he has gone and shot all these people who have done terrible, terrible, violent things, and he flashes back to seeing like piles of bodies and stuff too. But now he's at this mental hospital with all these people who have done terrible things, who obviously are not being lined up against a fence and shot, despite having done terrible, um, arguably unforgivable crimes. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we have this interesting setup here, and the. The storyline gets more fascinating when you find out that the woman who's disappeared, that Teddy and his partner are looking for, um, as it turns out, her room was locked from the outside. She doesn't have windows she can access. Both of her pairs of shoes are still inside. Um, so what, she escaped barefoot? It seems impossible. Um, and so they're investigating it, and a lot of spooky stuff happens. They uh, interview a lot of the patients, and one of the patients, this is a really cool scene, is looking at Teddy and his partner, and um, she's describing Dr. Sheehan, who's apparently the missing patient's uh, doctor. And as she looks at them, she's like, hey, can I get a glass of water? And while Teddy's partner is going to get it, she grabs Teddy's notebook, writes something in it, and hands it back to him. And later we find out that what she wrote was just three words, run, outlined really intensely. Um, and you see some more interesting things from Teddy's viewpoint where he's interviewing patients, um, and the patients are, are, you know, some are more, uh, what's the word for something that you can, more amiable, not amiable, digestible than others, I guess is the okay. word. Um, so like one of them he's interviewing and this guy is like, 
yeah, a nurse, a nurse tried to give me a glass of water and I could tell she wanted me to like whip my dick out, which freaked me out. So I stabbed her (laughs) and and Teddy gets really pissed off at him basically. Um, and is, is talking to that guy. Like you're talking about stabbing her and being scared of her. Well, she probably had a family and you stabbed her. Like, what are you talking about? You know, um, he's really, there's this big line drawn between the sane and the insane in this movie, between people who can see reality for what it is and the people who can't, is what you start to to see develop. And Mm -hmm. uh, the plot continues to develop, and and Teddy's claiming on more and more strange mysteries on this island. He meets this random doctor while he's alone out in the cliffs who is telling him about how she's an escaped doctor um, because they were doing psychological experiments on their patients and stuff. Um, until it gets to an end scene, and this is the biggest spoiler I can give, so if you, for no, some no, no, reason... No, no, the biggest spoiler you can give, we're spoiling the whole movie, Sonny, hello. I mean, uh, yeah, exactly, I was, I was like, I should pause at least at this point, because this is the actual, like, crux of the movie. Spoiler alert, everyone, there are spoilers, <laughs> there you go. Um, finally, the, he is in the main psychiatrist's office, he's freaking out because his partner has disappeared, he's like, what's going on, what are you guys trying to do to me here, are you trying to, like hold me as a patient and, and trick me so that you can do experiments on me. And um, basically the psychiatrist dude lays out for him, um, hey, so actually you've been a patient here for the last two years. Um, your name isn't Teddy, it's not Daniel Edwards, the way you think it is. Your name is actually Andrew Latis. And those are apparently um, not anagrams, but that thing for each other where they're made of the same letters. And so... Um, our main character, Teddy, or as we now know, Andrew, has unconsciously renamed himself. Mm-hmm. And he unconsciously renamed his wife as well, because the missing patient, who was eventually found, um, is actually uh, being charged with the crimes of, of his wife, which is drowning three children. He apparently had mm-hmm. three children with her that he didn't remember. This is a psychiatrist telling him this. You know, um, Andrew, remember your three kids that you had with your wife? Here are photos of them. Your wife drowned them and you killed her. And then it goes back to the scene that shows Leonardo DiCaprio doing some incredible acting. Um, While he realizes that his wife, who has for a long time been struggling with mental health issues, um, has drowned his three children, Um, he has to pick up his three children out of the lake next to their house and bring back their bodies. And then when he's talking to his wife, this is a really fascinating scene. um, She's crying to him. She's like, oh, well well, we'll, like, bring them inside and dry them off and we'll have dinner with them and and we'll go on a picnic tomorrow. And then for a second, she looks at him and she goes, let me free. And then she goes back and she's like, come on, like, you know, we'll just bring them inside. It's all going to be fine. Um, And he he shoots her is what he does um, Mm -hmm. while they're hugging. Which is really interesting because she has just that moment where you're wondering whether that might be clarity or what what that is when she says, let me free. Um, which is foreshadowing because as we get to the end of the movie, um, we see young, well, not Teddy, but Andrew, his mind has finally cleared. He's accepted the truth. He's talking to them and the doctor tells him, well, I just hope that you don't regress again because we had a moment of clarity from you about nine months ago. And then you started to do all the same things, um, and continuing Mm. to pretend you were this different person. Um, and so in the last scene, um, Oh, and this was a big plot point, too, is that they were going to lobotomize him. There was this last experiment where they wanted to see if they could clear his mind and things would be okay. Otherwise, the more, um, I guess, the more, like, non-forgiving um, psychiatrists at the 
at the facility were leaning towards lobotomizing him, whereas the main psychiatrist dude he's been dealing with does not want to. And in the very last scene, um, his partner comes and checks on him and goes, hey, what's up? Um, and uh, Andrew turns to him and says, well, I guess we got to get off this island, you know, uh, going back into his U.S. Marshal persona. And you see the his partner give a little nod to the big psychiatrist guy, or actually not a nod, the opposite. He shakes his head a little bit like, oh, no, he hasn't maintained his, his sanity. You know, he's not clear minded. And the, the surgeon starts to walk towards them with the lobotomy tools and the um, the more violent warden who tends towards wanting to lobotomize the patients is coming as well. And while they're walking, this is like the most iconic scene of the whole movie. Um, Andrew turns to his partner, who he's been closest to the whole movie, who turns out to be his main psychiatrist. And he says, um, let's see, which would be worse, to live as a monster or to die as a good man? And then he turns and he goes to join them, and his partner's like, wait a second. And he calls out, he says, Teddy, but he's already walking away, which I thought was really interesting. And here we get into some actual analysis, because throughout the movie, his partner refers to him as boss, which is kind of weird when they're both partners, you know? Um, it's a very clearly like, I'm affirming you and your knowledge to make you feel more comfortable, like psychiatrist move, you know, to be like, mm -hmm. hey boss, what's going on? Like. Wait, so basically at the end it is confirmed that Teddy had regained his sanity and he yes. was just pretending not to so he'd be lobotomized because he didn't want to live with the knowledge that all this shit happened in his life. Yes, exactly. Sad. Right? It's a really sad ending. Um, but yeah, so his partner, the psychiatrist, refers to him as boss a lot throughout the movie when he's kind of like just having a good time and talking to him like, okay, why do you think that, boss? What do we do next, boss? But when he's serious, you no you notice him switch to Teddy, like, stop, Teddy, like, what are you doing, Teddy? Um, and then it's revealed his name isn't Teddy, right? It should be Andrew. And when they're trying to give him the reality check, they call him Andrew a bunch. They're like, Andrew, you need to calm down. Andrew, you need to accept this. Um, but in that last scene where um, where he's going off to, to be lobotomized, essentially, the his partner essentially just... Dr. Sheehan essentially just calls out instinctually like Teddy because he's serious right it's um it's like a sad moment and that's the name that he's come to to know him as even if it's not his real name um which is really mm -hmm. sad you know it'd be interesting in that last scene if he called out Andrew like what would that that would be very different because we've heard Teddy throughout the movie um so I just thought that was an interesting name or an interesting note how names well are I mean used. I think it was because he was trying to see basically if, if he I mean, like Mark Ruffalo after being asked that question about being a monster or a good man I think he was unsure whether or not Teddy had regained his sanity yeah. and like was still playing into the whole thing so he was like uh I True. guess he's still crazy maybe so Teddy or then he doesn't <laughs> respond to that and so oh, he's like oh so that shit confirms he's in his right mind that's a good point too yeah he doesn't respond to Teddy anymore right exactly I think I think yeah, I mean, I don't know why he calls him Teddy instead of whatever. Like, he's confused, whatever. But the, the, the point that matters is that Leonardo DiCaprio's character doesn't respond to his fake name anymore. So it's confirmed to the audience, like, oh, <laughs> he just wants to be lobotomized so he'll forget all this painful past. Now, it's very true. 
Um, before you uh, tell me why you find this movie so scary, I want to ask, <laughs> do you know how lobotomy works? I am super confused. Like, how how do you just, like, take part of, like, someone's brain out and they're still just, like, fine and okay? They're just kind of, like, zombified. Like, I'm very confused. Um, you know, I actually don't know the technicalities of lobotomy either, but I think you've described it pretty accurately. I mean, you take out part of someone's brain and in one way or another, they become much more docile, obedient. Um, I guess I'm just so, shook that over time, medicine figured out which part of the brain, like, made someone more docile and, and was, like, figured out how to take that out without killing someone. Like, that's, I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, progress, I guess. You know, medicine is cool, except this sucks, dude, but. The whole movie centers around how sad lobotomy is, and you're like, okay, <laughs> but medicine for doing that? Kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, the alternative is, I guess. You have a bunch of, uh, I mean, listen, I'm not pro-lobotomy. I'm just saying, like, at the time, this is probably the best it could do. And it was definitely better than whatever the alternative was at the time, which could have been, like, I don't know, killing them? Who knows? Um, anyway, continue. Um, I mean, that is an interesting point. Um, I think it's sad, though, that, I mean, our main guy, Teddy, I guess Andrew, didn't have, like, faith in himself to, to try and heal. And I think that's also the thing in the movie is that they... It's just really sad the way it draws this line, like the insane versus the sane. I think that line is what puts people in such a down on themselves, hard state of mind when they like struggle with mental health or like are struggling with one of these things. You know, suicide rates are much, much higher among schizophrenics than they are um, among, you know, the portion of the population that hasn't been diagnosed with a mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, do you I think, think Martini Scorsese was trying to say, oh, well, a little crazy? You know, I don't know if he's from New York, but it just feels to me like he must be. Martini like, do you think that's what he was trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're just all a little crazy, and that's the message of my movie. Um, I mean, I might hope, but I did. <laughs> um, I did have some more. Yeah, just I had a, a lot of thoughts about this in terms of. Were you done with what you were bringing up, though? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay. So you asked, you know, why I find this movie so crazy. And it is absolutely this idea of, of or not so crazy, so scary. And it's absolutely this idea, right at the beginning, a really good quote from Teddy when they walk into the uh, asylum. The officers are instructing them, like, you can't go into this ward, you can't do this thing, um, we're going to need your firearms, da-da-da. And Teddy's like, you're acting like insanity is catching. Um, mm -hmm. Which is a really poignant line because you realize at the end that Teddy has not struggled with this stuff his whole life. It only happened after his wife had killed his children, right? He comes mm -hmm. home, he's in his right mind, he's like, hey honey, like, how's it going? And when he goes out into the back, he discovers that she's killed their three children. He kills her because I think that he just sees it as the only thing he can do and, and she almost asks him to. Um, and and then proceeds to go through this entire saga of hallucinating for two years, essentially, um, mm -hmm. so that he doesn't have to face his guilt. Um, yeah, and towards the end, he does mention I mean, his not guilt. even his guilt, more just like, I mean, I guess guilt for killing his wife, but yeah, I, I yeah. think more the pain that his children and, and his wife, by extension of that, are, are dead. Totally, um, totally. And he mentions, too, he's like, it's kind of, he says, like, it's my fault that they're dead because I didn't get her help because he didn't, like, acknowledge that... Um, that she had a problem. Um, well, I mean, if he feels like that falls completely on him, then yeah, I guess it is guilt. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's a mix for sure. But I do. So so in a way, insanity caught right. It was his his wife who was originally struggling, and then after everything that he's gone through, um, he now has to face that he also is not totally in his right mind, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's really really scary you know when you see a crazy person well crazy person is such a it's definitely not the right language i should be using but when you see someone who's struggling a lot um and especially someone who's just struggling to interpret their environment the way you would hope right someone hearing voices or someone who is Mm -hmm. overly paranoid and doesn't see that the people around them mean well things like that where they're not even um totally in touch with like reality or what's going on when you extend that and you say, well, I suppose that could happen to me, it becomes much more scary versus when you draw this line and you say, well, I'm sane and that's never going to happen to me, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that's what makes, what gives the movie a little bit more spook. Um, I mean, it's almost like a, <laughs> like a, are we living in a simulation kind of feeling, right? Because at the ending, at the end of the movie, you realize like, oh, this guy was crazy all along. Um, he's been hallucinating the past years of his life. And you almost have to turn around to yourself and be like, oh, my God, <laughs> am I a Shutter Island? Um... Exactly. It forces empathy exactly where you don't want to feel it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really interesting. And I think the other interesting theme of the movie that, um, that I brought up with this uh, Nazi Germany parallel is, like, how do you forgive the unforgivable? You know, if Teddy were... Mm-hmm at a place where he were better able to... And I say Teddy, it's so funny, because that's just the name he has throughout the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. If he were able to forgive himself in some way, or um, to come to peace um, and realize, looking at all these other patients, like, oh, I suppose I could have some forgiveness for them because they were in the right mind and didn't know what they were doing, and now they're seeking help. Um, I feel like it would be much, much easier on him um, than when he has these really hardcore... um, when he's just not, he's not able to forgive these kinds of offenses, which is super understandable, um, but it, it makes it a lot harder for, for him, knowing that he's done something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think if anything, that factors into his final decision to get lobotomized, right? Because he's like, well, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a soft version of killing yourself almost, right? Because you mm-hmm. just, you're no longer the same person after the procedure. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know, I killed all these people for doing all these heinous things. Um, I guess I have to do the same thing to myself now because otherwise I'd be hypocritical. And since he can't forgive mm-hmm. himself, he's like, you know, it's my turn. That's a good point, too, with the hypocritical idea of him having killed all these people. It's my turn. That's whoa. Okay, Andre, spot on analysis there. <laughs> I watched the movie, honey. No, um, I, <laughs> I, I actually, I remember I watched that movie, and a couple months later, I saw like the, um, the book at a Barnes and Noble, and I was like, I'm gonna read that. And the book, you know, as most books are when they're like translated into a movie, the book has more depth to it. Um, also, just like a longer, more detailed plot. But for the most part, I thought um, the. The movie did it justice pretty well, so I wow. I, I like the movie a lot. Wow, Andre approved. I also like the movie a lot, and it's been listed on a couple of lists as one of the top movies of 2010. I'll say, although it got mixed reviews overall, largely. Positive. I mean, not a high bar to you know. <laughs> 2010 wasn't. 
this movie also has like a 60 something on rotten tomatoes which listen rotten tomatoes critics definitely don't dictate everything that's good or bad um but i don't think they're completely out of whack um it's i mean it's weird though because i mean i say that but sometimes i actually do believe they are because like i for example i love tron legacy it's one of my favorite movies of all time and the movie has like a straight up 50 percent of rotten tomatoes just like right down the middle and i think it's a great movie um similarly with this actually i think you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna defend it i love shutter island i thought it was great i think martin scorsese really like can't make a bad movie i've seen a lot of his movies i i think it deserved a higher critic score but whatever I mean, I would agree. And it's totally a matter of taste with a lot of these things, too. I think you're spot on with that. Um, yeah. I guess we like trash, and so... No, <laughs> <laughs> no what we we're like not is, is, like, emo shit where we have to think about our brains and whether we're in a simulation. <laughs> um, I mean, I think Mars Attacks is a masterpiece, so... That's my taste. No, um, that's good. I mean, I okay, I like that. What was that your analysis? Was that your whole analysis? Um, that was pretty much my analysis. Let's see. I've got one more cool quote from the warden, mm-hmm. who kind of represented like let's just lobotomize them all. Um, he says, "There, there is no moral order. It's just whether my violence conquers your violence." Um, I mean, which yeah. was pretty interesting because he was well. That's the thing. He was talking about all these violent inmates, and he was basically like, "Come at me, bro. Be violent with me if you want." Um, and it was just interesting to see someone who clearly, like, reveled in violence, whereas Teddy hates it, right? But this warden, because he has self-control and um, and a somewhat decent grasp on his environment, um, isn't placed in there with the inmates, despite clearly being kind of scum. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's... <laughs> it's much more actions than thoughts, right? And I think that's kind of what sucks. Yeah. Like, you can be a terrible person on the inside, but as long as you have the self-control to not commit any crimes, well, I mean, you can't get penalized for being a horrible person. Totally. Um, also, not like we would want that to be the case, because I, I do think there is a big j- like jump made from thoughts to actions, and we definitely don't want to mm-hmm. live in Minority Report. So, you know, yeah, like, scummy warden, but also... I, I feel like that's the way things should be. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I agree. But I also do feel like some of our, um, I don't know, just a lot of the things that happen in law, well, I could get on a whole tangent. But basically, if you're wealthy, you can get out of anything. Our law system is kind of corrupt. If you have power, in, if you have more, more, more power than the opposition, basically, right? So, like, this yeah. warden is in a position of power compared to the people living in the facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, whether that power comes from, like, influence, fame, money, it's whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's about, yeah, you have power, you can get out of things that other people can't. That's totally true. I also like the quote. Um, can you repeat the quote to me? Oh, yeah. There is no moral order. It's just whether my violence conquers your violence. So, what that made me think of was... Um, like morality is often dictated by victors like morality Mm. in society um is often dictated by victors of past conflicts right Mm -hmm. so like you have two groups of people whoever is more violent wins that conflict and then they get to dictate what the society is going to look from there on and that is taken by the people now living in that society as the moral code to follow um Mm, and i think that's really funny right like for example um (laughs) you know like we like, we kill a bunch of animals in the West, and we eat them, mm-hmm. and um, I guess so does the rest of the world, but you'll, for example, like, India will mm-hmm. do that, except, what, like, cows and mm-hmm. pigs? Mm-hmm. So, 
why why is that moral code different than ours? Well, because that was dictated by people that lived there a long time ago that must have like taken that space and started to live in it from potentially other people who were there before. What I'm saying is like, you know, if there were other people there and they came and whoever they are, like you know what I'm trying to say. They came and got rid of the other people and they were like, well, now this is my... I mean, actually, super easy example. Just think of the... Um, just think of Native Indians here in the States, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we came, we took the land, and we were like, actually, no. Th- this tradition, no. This, that, no. We're definitely not going to eat that, but we are going to eat this. Like, that. this is the new moral code. That's that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you it's, use uh, violence and then you use it to justify your morality. Exactly, and we only got to set that new morality because we were able to be more violent than the group that we defeated. So Totally true. Yeah, yeah. again, power connecting to the morals that you set up. Um, Yeah, pretty... (sighs) Pretty sad (laughs) shit. Anyway. And then um, we look at China eating dogs and we're like, wow, how could you? I know, which I always think is, like, super hypocritical because what's the difference between a dog and a cow? Like, I mean, if anything, have you seen dogs and cows interact? Like, they're both playful. Cows are, like, big dogs, honestly. Um, Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, all in all, I think, I definitely think, like, we're gonna, like, 150 years from now, hopefully less, but, like, 150 years from now, we're gonna look at, like, like, footage of humans eating meat and we're gonna be like, God, we were, like, barbaric like we were savages oh Um, totally yeah yeah Yeah. i totally think that's where that's where the world is going Mm -hmm. um and it's just you know what is really weird to say that now and really Mm -hmm. believe that that's gonna happen and for me to still eat meat (laughs) that (laughs) that's some kind of cognitive dissonance that is really out of this world but it's also you know what i mean it's 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 kind of fucked and i know that Mm. um yeah, and, and like, and this also doesn't justify it, but the truth is that for me and a lot of people, it's like it's so ingrained in you to eat these foods because you've eaten them your whole life that to quit them like presents so many difficulties that you'd rather just not put in the effort. And I know that sounds fucked, and maybe I'll get canceled in 150 years, but you know what I mean? <laughs> no, totally, totally. And the reality is that A, it's normalized. And norms dictate so much of our behavior, right? If you were ashamed mm-hmm. every time someone saw you with a hamburger, it'd be a different story. And mm-hmm. B, we don't have to see the killing. You know, it'd be kind mm-hmm. of inhumane if every time we ate a burger, we watched a cow get its like heart torn out, and we watched it moan and fall to the ground. You know, I'm not sure that very many of us. I don't could, think that's how do they that. kill cows, but um, oh yeah, <laughs> I don't no, think that's, they that's like... definitely not. Um, it's definitely like a, a slit of the throat. It's like a lot simpler, but right. Um, but if we had to watch that every time we ate meat, I think it would also be a different story. There are, like, a lot of circumstances that allow us to be, uh, like, emotionally distanced from it enough and, like, close enough to other people who are eating meat that, you know... It's just oh, yeah, not, I not also think that allows us to be less respectful. Like, you had mm-hmm. farmers back in, you know, like, I don't know, before before industrialization. You had farmers who would, like, kill these animals and eat them. Um, but it's almost like they really... They had to love that animal first. Exactly. You had exactly. to say, bye, Bessie. Yeah, like factory farming makes it so emotionally distant, not only for the consumer, but also for the people working there because there are so many animals and to them they're all anonymous because there's so many and you can't get attached to any of them and it's just your job totally. and your job is just to kill these animals that it's like you can't, you, you, you have to like remove all attachment to be able to do your job that it's definitely not the same as like, you know, 200 years ago when like 
you killed your chicken to eat it. Like, it's totally, not like totally. that. <laughs> I'm imagining, um, like, some kind of alien species coming to Earth, and we're, like, way less intelligent than them, and them uh-huh. doing the same thing with us, and a bunch of us, like, running naked around, like, <laughs> some Sunny. I don't know why it's so funny. <laughs> okay. And they just, like, number us. They're like, okay, number 67, and it's your turn this today. Is definitely, <laughs> this is definitely not the veganism episode. I don't know what's happening. But, um, but, but, Sunny, you and everyone listening to this episode need to listen to... Uh, a song called Meat by Poppy. You know Poppy, that weird, the weird YouTube girl? Um, mm. I don't know if you ever heard of her, but anyway, there's this girl, she makes music, her name is Poppy, P-O-P-P-Y. She has a song called Meat, um, and it, it's, it's insane. The first time I heard it, I was so shook, but I loved it. it the song is basically literally that like <laughs> it's it's this narrative of aliens coming to earth in factory farming humans oh um, shit look at that yeah Poppy, yeah it's same it's insane this girl is creative so mm. it's good uh it's also kind of like a metal song so that makes it only that much more like hardcore <laughs> and i love it um I, I yeah i don't know i don't know how i feel talking about this because i Trust me, I am totally aware of the hypocrisy that, like, I'm very much for <laughs> for the vegan movement, and I very much am cognizant of how I think society will be in a century from now, yet mm. I'm still in this position where I eat what I eat every day. Um, <laughs> that's that's humans for you. So, yeah, it's okay. not, that I ha- not that I haven't tried, and that, that I'm still, like, not trying to decrease my consumption of animal products i definitely am and in the past i've definitely gone on like full-on vegan um Mm. but that only lasted as long as it lasted so (laughs) it was like a couple months at a time but Mm. um i'm definitely making that little difference here and there though i'm definitely on this uh on this mind way for sure i've been for years actually it's just Mm. that yeah progress is definitely non-linear when it comes to this I was uh, um, I was vegetarian when I first entered university, and then I gained the freshman fifteen, and I blamed vegetarianism, and I was like, "Fuck that shit! I need my body back." But then I did not lose the weight after stopping being vegetarian. I mean, I kind of eventually lost the weight after a long time, but um, not that it would concern me if I didn't. We love all bodies here. Mm. Yeah, but we also stand you a skinny queen. So, <laughs> I mean. Um, it'll- like, like, last point I, I just want to make on this before I jump into my movie analysis um, mm. is everyone go watch factory farming videos. If they're gonna, they're gonna stun you. No pun intended, because they stun cows and shit. But um, mm-hmm. they, they'll definitely shock you. Also, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> and if they, if they shock you into maybe not stop. Maybe not stopping to eat meat completely, but just to reduce your consumption of it because you feel not even just the guilt, but because you have that intellectual like knowledge now of like God, this is this is the process that it takes for for this to get to my plate. If it even mm-hmm. just reduces your consumption, then then those videos did their job, you know. Yeah, um, and even yeah. going vegetarian instead of vegan, um, it's actually my plan when I start working because I'm staying with family and I don't want to like dictate what they feed mm-hmm. me. But mm-hmm. it is my plan to be vegetarian because that's actually a lot easier like i don't think i can give Mm -hmm. up milk and cheese and eggs yet Mm -hmm. but um like i don't know eating tofu instead of turkey is not is at least for me a reasonable step but each person has to decide that for themselves vegetarianism is awesome especially as a stepping stone if you ever think you'll be vegan in the future because like by just jumping to vegetarianism already you yourself at least are not 
directly responsible for the killing of any animals. Like, you know, the treatment of these animals to get cheese and eggs and milk, also not fantastic, but <laughs> no animals have to die for that, right? So mm. there you go. <laughs> and it's also better for the environment. <laughs> it's also better I for your health, frankly. This is what we got in our horror movie. <laughs> I know what happened. <laughs> anyway, um, hi all, welcome to Vegan Talk episode <laughs> one. Um, <laughs> with your host, two non-vegans. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, I want to talk about Mother. Um, uh, yes. Have you seen Mother, Sunny? I have, but it was a while okay. ago, so you might have to refresh me. It was a while ago for me, too, but I need no refreshment. This movie traumatized me. I remember it from <laughs> beginning to end. I guess when I, like, experience hardcore trauma, I don't suppress it. It just really just stays there ready to be accessed whenever needed. Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Definitely not a teddy. Um, <laughs> my prison cell is reality, honey. No, listen. So, um, I this plot is insane and also a little bit hard to explain in Shutter Island. So, I'm going to... I'm going to summarize a bit more than you for sure, okay. um, but let's get into it. I was going to try to like simplify some things. Um, okay, so basically, for those of you who have not seen Mother um, or need a refreshment, Jennifer Lawrence is in this movie. Um, it is directed, uh, what's the name of this guy? Darren Aronofsky, if I remember correctly. Darren Aaron Aronofsky, I think that's what it is. So... Um, which, funny enough, they uh, the director and Jennifer Lawrence actually dated for a while um, after this movie. Yeah, what they're, is that like? I, I know, I, weird. Weird, I bet, because she actually said, and I pulled up this article about it, she said that after the movie came out, that she probably wouldn't want to make a movie like Mother ever again because it kind of traumatized her. So it's funny that she dated the director of the movie that traumatized her. Um, at least for a while. I was really interested to see also if they were still dating. Turns out, no. She actually um, married late last year this um, uh, artist. <laughs> so good for her. He has like yes, a gallery. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> um, I always thought her and Chris Pratt would make a great couple. If you haven't seen Passengers, you have to see that. But oh, whatever. I saw that. She was drunk for all of their love scenes. Though. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> That's just my, that's just my ship though, but uh, okay. So mother, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Here's the plot: you have this house that is like burnt out and shit, and then um, you like at the beginning of the movie is this shot of this burnt out house in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of this like beautiful field, I guess, mm -hmm. and you see the house be slowly like recreated from burnt ashes and remains to a normal looking house, and then you go mm -hmm. into a bedroom, and the camera uh, focuses on Jennifer Lawrence on the bed, and she wakes up, and she's like, um, him, or whatever, I, yeah, um, yeah, she calls, she calls her lover him the whole movie. So that already should be a clue that this movie is, um, a biblical, like, allegory. Mm. Um, so she's like him, and then him comes into the room, and him is Jennifer Lawrence's, like, husband, and he's a writer, and right now he's experiencing writer's block, and so, um... And he describes Jennifer Lawrence as, like, his, his muse and whatever. So they live in this house. Great. So one day, uh, a stranger referred to as Man turns up at the house asking for a room. And he claims to be a local doctor. And then him agrees to, like, house him in the house. Um, mm. He's like, sure, okay. And then a uh, woman comes, a woman named Woman, who is a man's wife. <laughs> Darren Aronofsky really said, art. So, <laughs> so he made this movie. Um, 
And then, okay, so now you have these two guests that came out of nowhere. Great. Then you have men and women accidentally shatter this, like, crystal object that is um, in uh, Him's, uh, like, writing room, uh, which she had forbidden anyone to touch. Mm. And so Mother kicks them out, and Him, like, boards up his study room. And, um, but before men and women can leave, their two sons arrive and fight over their father's will. <laughs> this is this movie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When you watch, I, I don't know if you remember, Sonny, you watch, you enter this movie theater and you have to watch this movie. Like you are on, you have to watch this movie from the fantasy plane, right? Like I always mm-hmm. think that humans exist, um, in the, in the reality plane and also in the fantasy plane, depending on, like, the time of day, how creative they're feeling, what they're doing, you know, whether it's work or art, like, their hobbies. Like, I think, mm-hmm. like, singers and stuff definitely exist much more on the fantasy plane of life. And that's something that I think a lot of people kind of shit on because it's like, oh, explain your art. This doesn't make sense. But I don't like that because I think, like, art sometimes shouldn't make sense and it should be seen exclusively as something ethereal Ooh. and abstract. I like this um, description, Andre. Yeah. I, 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 I I don't like people that are, I don't like people that always insist on living in their reality plane because they think that mm. sometimes that somehow puts them on some kind of like a high horse because it's yeah, like I am. Totally. And it's like, no, if anything, you're, you are depriving yourself from this other facet of human life, which is just experiencing the abstract as abstract in itself. And that's that there's no explanation behind it. Mm. Um, I think, I think that's good for humans to do every now and then because it, gets you creative juices flowing and you don't just end up this like zombie um so anyway i think artists exist mostly there i think the rest of us exist mostly in the reality plane but we try to escape the fantasy plane particularly with the art that these artists make for us (laughs) um Mm. anyway this is all to say that aronofsky definitely made a movie in the fantasy plane and also (laughs) one that needs to be understood in the fantasy plane like Mm. i saw after watching this movie so many reviewers being like what's this about what does this mean and why would he why does this create what does this artistic choice mean and i'm like Mm. like you can't analyze art from the like real like from the reality plane that's so Mm. that's like apples to oranges you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. so i didn't like those reviewers i thought this movie was great even though i hate it because it traumatized me i thought it was great Anyway, you have the, the 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 sons of man and woman coming, fighting over their father's will, whatever. Then, Wait, so did the, um, did the did man die? Uh, no, um, man didn't die. The 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 sons um come to fight over the father's will, and then um the oldest son who finds mm-hmm. out he'll be left with nothing of the will severely wounds the younger brother and then flees. So definitely kind of like a what's that like? Um, oh, Cain and sto- Abel. Yes, oh, exactly. Yeah. So oh, also grew up in a Christian household, so any biblical references, <laughs> I yeah, I'm definitely... sure you're gonna catch on to all of this. <laughs> <laughs> so him and man and woman take the injured son for help, and then um, mother stays alone in the house, and she like follows a trail of blood to find a tank of heating oil hidden behind the basement walls. Um, and then upon returning, him tells mother that the son has died. Okay. And then dozens of people arrive at the house to honor the dead son. Like, okay, this is why this movie like fucks with your head so much because remember what I just said about the reality in the fantasy plane? I realized you have to interpret this movie in the fantasy plane after watching it. While watching it, I was thoroughly confused. I knew it must've been some kind of biblical metaphor because I, I caught onto that pretty early on. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that like... 
symbols and all, this movie still takes place in like this normal ass looking house with normal mm. ass looking people. So you're very confused. You're like, wait, should I take this as like reality? Is this some kind of dream? Like, and then you, you, I started to question myself. Like, I mean, I guess it's possible that some randos <laughs> could arrive to your house and ask for hospice. Like, I guess. You're like, yeah. I mean, you could be named him and mother. Yeah. And then so welcome in a. A woman and man, and then yeah. So for yeah. like half the movie, I was still confused because I was still trying myself to to interpret this from the reality plane. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, I think after all the people, all the just random people arrived to to mourn the son's death, though, I was like, okay, this this has to be entirely just some metaphor for something, and not actually really what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so people come and they do that. They honor the dead son. They behave very rudely, and this irritates the mother. Uh, and she snaps uh, when they break a sink, which ends up partially flooding the house. And then she orders everyone out, and she like berates him for allowing so many people inside while ignoring her needs. Um, just I have okay, okay. Anyway, so then this argument ends in them like fucking. Which, okay, the next morning, mother announces that she's pregnant <laughs> very fast. <laughs> Um, you know, him loves this news and this inspires him to finish his work because he had like writer's block. And then mother prepares for the arrival of the child and whatever. And then, um, uh, him like publishes his book and it's like a sellout book. It's like it sells out really great. Um, and then in celebration of this, of the book doing so well, Mother prepares this big dinner, but a group of fans, a group of him fans, uh, arrive at the house before they can eat, and she asks him to go away, but he, like, uh, insists that he has to be polite and show his appreciation for his fans, and she tells her that he's gonna return soon, and, like, Mother, like, tries to lock the doors, but more people keep arriving, and many, like, begin to use the toilet, which I thought was kind of funny, like, (laughs) there's, like, a line for the toilet, and then, uh, they start stealing stuff around the house, like breaking shit but um him is like completely ignoring all this because he's too focused on like fan love Mm -hmm. and um then hundreds of people fill the house like way more people come and mother becomes like super disoriented and this is where the whole movie just like devolves into absolute fucking chaos Mm -hmm. um like military forces battle a cult of frenzied him fans (laughs) who tear rooms apart and engage in religious rituals and then you have like gunfire and explosions and shit and then um you have like mass executions happening Um, which are uh, organized by the Herald, who is the poet's publicist, him's publicist. It's this is like all happens in the span of like ten minutes. It's a lot to take in. And then mother goes into labor, and um, she finds him finally, and him like takes her to her study so she can like have a baby. Um, mm-hmm. But then like there's more shit happening outside, and him tells mother that his fans want to see the newborn son, and mother is like hell no. <laughs> And um, then she falls asleep and wakes up and she realizes like him took the baby um, because she wanted to, he wanted to show it to his fans. And uh, she goes outside and sees the crowd like hanging out with the baby, but they're like passing the baby around quietly. And then like the baby's neck ends up being snapped. Uh, the mo- mother's like, oh, my fucking God. Uh, and then she like waits into the crowd and she sees that people are eating her son's mutilated corpse. So lit. That's the part that to me was like, 
one, this movie jumped the shark, but I'm still very invested. And two, like traumatized me. So then she's like obviously super angry and she calls everyone murderers and stabs them and shit. And then they turn on her and they beat her up uh, and they strangle her until him comes and he implores mother to forgive them. But she escapes and makes her way to the basement oil tank and punctures it with a pipe wrench. You know, the oil tank that she had seen earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she punctures that with a pipe wrench. And then despite him being like, no, don't do it. She, like, sets the oil on fire, and everything explodes, destroys the crowd, the house, everyone, the environment. Of course, her and him survive. Um, She's completely burned and terrible, while him is, like, completely unscathed. And then he asks her for love, and she agrees. And then he tears open her chest and removes her heart. And as he crushes the heart with his hands, a new crystal object is revealed. So the crystal object that woman had uh, accidentally broken earlier in the movie, that man and woman had broken accidentally, this like crystal like kind of pendant that him had in his study. Now there's a new one, and it's revealed to be just like mother's crystallized heart. Uh, and then him places it on this pedestal, and once again the house is transformed into this like burnout shell of a home, into this like beautiful home. And in bed, a new mother appears. It was, like, not played by Jennifer Lawrence. It's, like, some other woman. And wakes up, and she's like, him, where are you? And then the movie ends. So it's like, <laughs> did you catch all of that? <laughs> um, it's a lot. So, and I try to summarize, mind you. <laughs> but I, I needed to, like, hit every beat of that because... Every beat of that represents some 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 part of the biblical metaphor that Aronofsky was trying to go for for this movie, right? So, okay. Basically, to dissect this pretty quickly, mother is Mother Earth. Men and women are men and women. Him is God. The people, the crowd doing shit are people. Um, and they, they're, they're like zealous because when they're presented with the baby... Um, well, okay, so... <laughs> very confusing right because like you think that um baby is uh jesus christ but according to some like analysis that i saw and also just my own thoughts i don't think that actually is supposed to represent that i think it's just supposed to represent the gift of the gift of life and environment and like nature that mother earth gives to humans and we like abuse it and tear it apart and cannibalize it and eat it um then shit on it and so and and so that, I think that's what that is. Then when like Mother Earth is basically trying to escape her house slash save her house by killing everyone with like the the oil tank, um, mm-hmm. she's she's just trying to stop getting abused basically, which is you know a very like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very understandable. And so she kills everyone, uh, but it, you know in, in doing so she and herself ends up harmed, and it's just so heart wrenching that like then him will approach Mother Earth and be like, okay, but now that I've taken everything from you, I still want you to give me one more thing, love. And so she she says yes because she's so, you know, she gives it all, I guess. And she she gives him, She which is very confusing because it's like, okay, so is, is him, does him really represent God? But whatever. She gives him her heart and and even that's torn out of her and it's like, then everything is recycled and renewed. But old mother earth is just completely you know like forgotten and means nothing and she gave everything and now she means nothing the totally. the the allegory isn't very clear because there are again things that kind of contradict each other and that aren't very clear and even looking it up online you can't really understand all of this mm. you'd have to ask aronofsky himself but 
um, regardless of what him represents, like God or not, the focus, I think, for me is more on Mother Earth. And Mother is undoubtedly that character. There's no way... That, definitely, that's definitely what she represents. There's no way it means anything else. So, it, it doesn't matter really though. what... I have, well, Go ahead. okay. I have thoughts. But first of all, I definitely think his source material was The Giving Tree. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> do you know that book? Yeah. <laughs> I just think this is a dull Giving Tree. <laughs> but, um... I have, well, okay, I don't want to interrupt because you seemed like, like you were on a roll. Do you have more? No, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, I do feel like I could see this being, because you know how in the, the idea of, like, the Trinity with, you know, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it's, there's not necessarily, like, a woman implied there, or, like, a, a feminine presence, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can think about, like, the idea of Jesus being God's son and then uh, him being, like, the ultimate sacrifice who's, like, placed on the, on the cross and whatnot, like... What if Jesus had a mom? Which he kind of does in the form of Mary. And I think that's why Mary gets a lot of hype. But what if he had, like, a god mom, you know? And would she let male god, like, just destroy their son for humans who kind of suck anyway? Um, I guess, like, just the idea of uh, love for the ones that are close to you versus love for, like, humanity as a whole, even though humanity kind of sucks. Um, but I just think it's an interesting take on it um, and thinking about like a mother's love like I feel like most mothers would save their own baby over you know a decent amount of people that they don't know I mean, <laughs> yeah but I just think that the, the fact that the movie keeps the characters names and, and the plot so incredibly just bizarre and abstract makes mm-hmm. me think that this must be about mother earth and specifically mm-hmm. like okay hot take I think mother is like climate change viewed from mother earth's perspective like i think that's the story basically <laughs> um or at least politically that's what aronofsky was trying to put out i mean and and how could that i especially think that's true just because of the times right like i mean this movie was made in recent times like i think it's very poignant um i, I definitely think he drew inspiration from the giving tree um because I said that is a joke, but I love that you. <laughs> no, 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 for real though, for real. Like, be, yeah, like okay, yeah. It's 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 a children's book, but it you know it's like really the way poignant. that the humanity like, keeps taking and taking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I think it's very. I mean, I don't know if he like drew from that consciously or not, but whatever. I definitely see inspiration there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Like I don't have all the answers. This movie is very confusing, but I definitely think it is about Mother Earth being abused and more, more in more modern terms, specifically through climate change. I mm. just I I don't see how it could be about anything else. Mm. Um, yeah, good ass movie though. I definitely recommend it. I definitely recommend for everyone to watch it once, and that's it because you're gonna hate it afterwards. But I think it's definitely <laughs> something to be experienced. Yeah, the ending with this cycle too is very interesting. That he uses a different actor to be Mother the next time. That's really mm-hmm. interesting, because in cyclical things, you would expect it to just be a regenerated um, Jennifer Lawrence. But I think that possibly the point there, too, is that we're on this search for a new planet that can sustain life. Like, I feel like that's a big thing going on, and people are, like, very excited. Um, so it's cyclical in nature in that we would probably just destroy another Earth even if we had it, but not cyclical because we won't be able to use the same planet because it will be dead. Um, I have not thought about that. That like the new the new woman could be like Mars. 
<laughs> that is, uh, yeah. I mean, it would make sense why he's a different actress. Um, uh, something I also want to point out is Aronofsky seems to really love the Bible because he also made um, the movies Noah and Pi. Um, oh. Uh, yeah, so he he loves like drawing for biblical stories and like Grandiose religious symbolism. Mm. Yeah, so I yeah he he definitely loves that. Um, I. I was going to say, like, the aspects about this movie that I'm still confused about, but I don't think we have enough time. I don't want to go into this also because it's just frustrating, and I feel like I'm just going to, like, talk myself into this hole, and I'm just going to, like, <laughs> rant forever. Um, point is, I just, there's still some things about this movie that I don't understand, read as I might. Um, but everyone, stop littering. That, that, that's the episode. <laughs> <laughs> go vegan and stop littering. <laughs> go vegan Welcome and to stop Earth littering. <laughs> Welcome to Earth <laughs> Oh my god. Dude, we have Earth Talk, Vegan Talk, Psych Talk, and Scary Talk. We're so prolific. We really Uh, are. The amount of things uh, that we cover in this horror podcast. I know. Well, everyone, (laughs) that's the episode. (laughs) God, we went long on these movies. We really, like, went in. We really did. Um, Yeah, I had another one prepared, but it looks like we're out of time. (laughs) This shall be part three, yo. Um... uh, Everyone, thank you for listening. Um, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any um, episode ideas for future episodes, please do let us know by DMing us at TalkScary on Instagram and Twitter or at ScaryTalk on our Facebook page. Remember that you can listen to us on all podcast listening platforms, be it Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. Sunny, anything else? Um, in terms of uh, from scary talk to mental health talk, remember to be forgiving and love yourselves and people around you the way that Teddy couldn't, because um, that's all that you can ask of yourself or anyone else. That's all. Absolutely. 100%. Um, uh, yeah, we love you all. Thank you for listening. Uh, stay spooky and go vegan, I guess. Bye. <laughs>